take it with you when you die. So he was a little upset by the news that he was about to die, and, and he knew he was very wealthy, and so he wanted to prove a point, and he called these three men to his side, and he said, you know, they say you can't take it with you when you die. Well, I'm just going to prove that they're wrong. So what I've done is I've got $90,000, three envelopes, $30,000 each, and I want you to help me with this particular experiment that I'd like to conduct. After I'm dead, I want each of you, as you walk by my casket, to throw in an envelope with the money in it. I thought it was a little strange, but you know, he was, he, he was a friend of theirs for a long time. So sure enough, he dies a few weeks later, and they go to the funeral, and they walk by the casket. And uh, the minister goes first, and he tosses in the envelope, and the, the doctor comes walking by, and he tosses in his envelope, and the attorney comes walking by, and he tosses in his envelope, and they go through the, 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 uh, the funeral. And afterwards, they're all sitting around, and they're remembering dear old John, and you know, they start feeling a little guilty about it. So the one who felt guilty the, the soonest was the minister. And uh, he said, you know, I feel really bad about this, um, and I just feel like this is the place to tell you. But when I walked by and threw in the envelope, I only threw in 20000 because we had a building program. We needed $10,000, so I kept $10,000, and I feel a lot better about telling you about this. I mean, because you can't take it with you anyway, and it just seemed like such a waste of money. And the doctor, feeling a little bit relieved, uh, having heard this confession, he said, well, good, because I want to tell you, <laughs> I, uh, I, threw in, I only threw in $10,000. We've got a wing at the hospital. It's a children's wing, and it's a really good cause, and we needed $20,000, and so I kept 20, and we used it for the children's wing at the hospital, and I feel really bad about it, but, you know, you really can't take it with you anyway. So the attorney hears this, and he can't even believe it. He said, you two are supposed to be the pillars of our society, the people that we turn to to trust when we're in time of need. Here it is, a minister, and you're keeping 10000 and a doctor, you're keeping 20000 He goes, you know, I was so concerned that the full amount went into that casket that I kept the $30,000 and put in a check for $30,000. <laughs> That's the way they are. So anyway... Um, I just thought I'd use that as just a stupid way to get started. Um, and it worked. Thank you very much. One of, the, uh, one of the most intensely personal subjects to discuss with another person is that of money. And a, uh, a question such as, how much do you make, generally is looked at with a little bit of disdain and maybe even perhaps followed up by, you know what, it's really none of your business. And as uncomfortable as you get if somebody asks you how much you make, I've got one that will top that one. And that's this question. How much do you spend and where do you spend it? So I thought what we'd do this morning is if you just take out your checkbooks. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Is that what I'm? No, don't do I look like the kind of guy that would kid? Take out your checkbooks and just hand them to the person next to you that you don't know. And just allow them the pleasure, just for a moment, of just entering into your life, up close and personal. Take a journey with you throughout the past weeks, months, and perhaps even this whole year. There's no way a whole year. I mean, how many people still use the same checkbook register in October that they start the year with? It's always the guys, right? Okay, I want to see how many women now. This time, oh, I know this could be one of those. Have gone through four checkbook registers. No, not at all. Good, good to hear it. Um, how many of you want to pass them around? Wouldn't it be interesting to pass your checkbook register around? I thought that would be so much fun, wouldn't it, though? Just to pass it around and say, hey, hey, here's my life. 
it'll unfold before you. You just go through and you see where I'm writing checks and you see where I'm spending money. Wouldn't that be fun to do? Ah, that'd be great. Oh, that'd be great. There's no way in the world anybody would want to do it. There may be a few. But most of us get really uncomfortable. You're wondering right now if I'm still kidding or not. <laughs> could you imagine, though? I could recreate your whole life just looking at your checkbook register. Very easy to do. I could find out how much you're using as far as credit cards, what credit cards they are, if you're making minimum payments, whether you're paying the full balance off every month. I could find all that out about you. I could find out how much you give, how much you say you give, how much you're thinking about giving. I can find out how much you spend on yourself. I can find out how badly you're in debt. Just looking at your credit card, I mean, and, and uh, looking at your checkbook register. Wouldn't that be uncomfortable? For a lot of us, it would be very uncomfortable. And uh, what's interesting to me is, as Americans, we seem enamored over how much people make. We've got annual reports, both of, uh, both of individuals and corporations, that show how much annual revenues they generate. And we're just enamored by big numbers. But if I read the Bible right, the Bible has a totally different concept and totally different perspective about money. Jesus doesn't seem too concerned about how much money we make. What he is real concerned about is how much we spend and where we're spending it. And so really to make it a test of our walk and our obedience, it'd be a matter of laying out that checkbook just to see where we really stand. Now we're not going to do that. But I thought if you felt uncomfortable enough about it that maybe in the future you probably wouldn't bring it with you. <laughs> Just in case. Oh, I forgot it at home. Um, but the thing is, if the biblical mandate is, and, and I believe that, that what the Bible teaches is this. As our income grows, our standard of giving should increase and not our standard of living. I believe that's what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to go and show it to you as we go through it this morning. But if our standard of giving should increase as income increases then why is it only the average person give 2.5% of their annual income to charitable work? Why is that? If the amount of money, and, and the way this works, is, see, you know what usually happens, and I know, I talked to my accountant, it's really interesting, he says it's fascinating to watch people's tax returns. He says what usually happens is people, if they do give, they give a certain amount of money, and they're used to giving that amount of money. But all of a sudden they start making more income, so that certain amount of money that they give as the income increases ends up shrinking in percentage to the actual income. That makes sense. It's just simple mathematics. So what happens is the giving doesn't increase as a percentage. The giving actually decreases as a percentage as our income increases. So the average Christian in America gives 2.5% of their income, annual income, to the work of the church. Now, I guess it, it may be because we haven't really stopped to consider the question of why we should give. You know, why should we give? That's really the issue behind it. Because if Jesus is more concerned with the amount of money you give than he is on the amount of money that you make, then we should be generous people. We should be the most generous people that you'd ever want to meet on the face of the earth. If we believe what the Bible teaches is true. But many of us don't know what the Bible teaches, and so therefore we just go about our lives and we continue to live them as we do. So as we go through this, we've been in the midst of a series entitled Pleasing God. Pleasing God. We saw why we should please God, which dealt with motivation, and now we're looking at how we please God in, the, in our daily life. And that deals with the means or the methods by which we please God on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to look at nine biblical reasons for giving. That's right, you heard me, nine. I know there's some doubters, and if somebody wants to lay a pizza on the line, you'll be real sorry because pizza motivates me. So here we go. Nine biblical reasons, nine biblical reasons for giving, okay? Number one. We give to please God. It, it doesn't get any simpler than that. Giving pleases God. Sacrificial giving pleases God. It involves sacrifice on our part, 
and it's a sacrifice that's specifically done to meet the needs of other people and not just to defer our own gratification until a later date. We went over that, we talked about it in depth last week. Giving pleases God, but only that giving which is sacrificial, which is done to um, maybe set aside a benefit that we can enjoy at that particular moment for the sp specific and express purpose of meeting the needs of another person. And that's what we see in Philippians 4.18. Paul says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts that you sent. He was in prison. He had a very specific need. In Paul's days, prisoners were not taken care of by the state. What an interesting concept it would be to employ that same system in our society. We build prisons so we can put people in it so that we can spend twenty-eight dollars to $30,000 a year to keep a prisoner in prison. Wouldn't it be an interesting system if we went back to biblical times where if you had a relative who went to jail, the only way their needs were met is if you took care of their needs yourself. You took food to them, you took clothing to them, you took needs to them because the rest of us weren't going to pay. I wonder what kind of deterrence it would be in our society if we got back to doing things the biblical way of handling it. Interesting, wouldn't it? But anyway, so he's in prison and he can't meet his needs. He has very real needs. He has food that he needs. He has uh, clothing that he needs. It's winter time in Rome and he's cold and he needs a coat. And he asked for it on one occasion. Would you bring my coat to me? I'm freezing here in this prison. And so what they did was they said, you know what? We only got so much money. We only have so much resources. But Paul has a need. And what we're going to do is we're going to meet his need at our own expense. And that sacrifice is an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's the type of sacrificial giving that the Bible says that we should be employing. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says, And don't forget to do good and to share with others, for with those sacrifices, such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased with our sacrificial giving when it means that we sacrifice something of our own needs and desires and wants and greeds and whatever to meet the specific needs of another person. So the question as we go through all this is, is that the kind of giving that embodies your life? You lay aside your own needs to meet the needs of other people. If you do that, God is pleased by that. That's why you should give, to please God. The second reason that you should give is a very simple one, and one that uh, we make more complicated than we should, and that is simply to support the work of the gospel. And the reason for it is that if people are going to hear how much God really loves them, the greatest news, the greatest message that I ever heard in my life was when somebody came to me one day and said, you know what, God loves you. And He loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to this earth to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on a cross, to shed His blood for your sins, and to raise from the dead to prove He was God, opening the way of heaven so that the only thing that you need to do is believe that He is who He said He was. If you accept that, then you're, you're right before God. You're righteous before God, and you can spend eternity in heaven. If that's not the greatest news anybody's ever heard, because up to that point I had heard that you need to do all kinds of things to please God. You've got to change in this area. You better stop drinking. You better stop smoking. You better stop swearing. You better stop being abusive. You better stop doing all these things. You better start going to church. You better start giving. You better start this. You better start that. And I heard that, and it was like, you know what? I've tried that. It doesn't work, so I keep doing the things that I do. When I heard the first time that the only way I was ever going to be acceptable before God was simply to believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and that's all that I had to do, it was the greatest news I ever heard. And so as we look at this, and Paul says, you know what? It says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. What a tremendous promise it is if we understand that all you've got to do is share that message with people around you. 
And if they call upon the name of the Lord, if they say, that's for me, then they'll spend eternity in heaven with you. The problem is we've got to get out there and we've got to share that with people. So what he said was, hey, for everyone, it's a promise. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to be saved. But the problem is, if you don't hear about him, you can't be saved because you're not going to hear. You can't call. So he says, how then can they call upon the one whom they've not believed in? You can't believe in someone you never heard about. And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? We wrestle with, the church wrestles with the same thing that every business wrestle with, and his argument is the same. And that is that this, this takes place in corporate America on a daily basis. Your customer can't buy a product unless they hear about your product. They can't hear about your product unless you advertise about the product. You can't advertise about the product until you spend some money. So the question then comes down to this. How badly do you want them to buy the product? How badly do you want them to buy the product? So now the question is, how badly do you want people to hear how much God loves them? That's really the issue at hand. And if you want them to hear about it, and you want to hear about it in a big-time way, then you're willing to make sacrifices of your own pleasures to support those and to fund the ministries that are out there telling people how much God really loves them. How much is it worth to you for people that you know that have never heard the gospel to hear how much God loves them? How much is it worth it, worth it to you? Five bucks a week? Ten bucks a week? A hundred bucks a week? I don't know. How much is it really worth to you? See, that's the personal question that's at hand. How much is it worth? What's the message worth? To Jesus, it was worth His blood. It was worth His death on the cross. It was worth everything that He was. Everything that He had. How much is it worth to you? Personal, isn't it? But that's alright. That's why we're here. So the question is, why should you give? Give to support the work of the gospel. Where do you give? Any ministry that is dedicated to sharing with people that God loves them, not for their own sordid gain, not by twisting and manipulating the message of the gospel, but simply preaching the, the, the grace of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those are the ministries that you want to support. Those are the people that you'll sacrifice personal gain for so that you can give them some money so they can get out there and let people know what's going on. If it's a building program to reach more people, you give to a building program. If it's an adult ministry that's faithful and sharing the word, then you give to that. If it's a children's program that's reaching kids with the love of Jesus Christ, then you do that. If it's a radio ministry that is ministering to people in your life and you hear them preaching the word, then you do that. There is unlimited places for you to share limited resources. So you ought to start to consider where you want to share it. Number three, and I love this. This is a great reason to give. Why should you give? Give to cause others to give thanks to God. Give to cause other people to give thanks to God. Man, I'll tell you what. We, we've already discussed a few weeks ago how Jesus Christ should get the glory in our lives for everything that we are, everything that we do, and everything that we become because He owns us. He bought us with a price. Everything should be given praise and glory to Jesus Christ. You know one of the best reasons to give is to cause other people to give glory and praise to the Lord. Here's the way it works. Have you ever been in a situation where you barely have enough money to make ends meet and somebody came along and bailed you out and helped you? Have you been in that situation before? Have you ever been in a situation where you've been so depressed and down and discouraged and somebody came along and met a need that you had a practical way that just got you pumped up again? What's the first thing you do? Amen. I'll tell you what, we had something like that happen a couple weeks ago, I'll share with you. Um, we had um, a, a situation came up with another family and 
we were supposed to do the legwork. Somebody else was going to come up with the money to meet a need in their life. And the people that said they were going to come up with the money just never got around to it. So they didn't do it. And we had already made a commitment to this family. And so we knew what was going to happen. And we didn't have the heart to tell them, well, I'm sorry, you know, we got all the legwork done and we did our part, but the other people didn't fund it. So we felt an obligation to just go ahead and put up the money and do it. So that's what we did. And it uh, wasn't the best timing, and it, and it wasn't necessarily the type of situation that you like to get yourself in on a regular basis, but it was something that we felt we needed to do. So we did it, and just trusted God that he'd meet our needs, that he'd take care of us. And uh, it's an amazing thing, less than a week after that, less than one week after that, we had uh, a couple who are in here this morning. I'm not going to name the embarrassing, but we had a couple that are in here who sent us a card, and it was just a note of appreciation and gratitude for some things that... Um, that God has used through what we're doing um, that encouraged them and helped them. And they sent us a card with a note. And in it, there was some money in it um, for us to just use any way that we wanted to. And you know the first thing we did? First thing I did after I wiped kind of a tear out of my eye, because I'm not really a hard and callous kind of guy that you think that I am. <laughs> and uh, maybe even one out of each eye, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> But as, as Linda called me at my office and explained, because she got the note first and she explained to me what was going on and she was kind of choked up and I was choked up, the first thing I did was I just thanked God. I thank God for their generosity is the first thing that I did. second thing I did was I called and thanked them. And you see, that's the way giving works. See, that's the way it works. And you know what's fascinating to me? That... It seems to work that way. As long as I've been a Christian, for 12 years now, it always worked that way, and I think it's always going to work that way, and that's because that's what the Bible teaches. But you know what's amazing? I mean, we shared a gift with someone, and then someone shares a gift with us. And then we're encouraged to share that gift with someone else because it just gets real contagious at that point. And you get excited about seeing people's needs met. And you get excited about seeing people praise God because of the generosity of His people. And you just keep doing that kind of stuff, you know? And it's amazing to me because if you really stop and think about it, the same amount seems to just get passed all over the place, you know. And it's just the same amount of money all the time, just changing hands. You know, I get it and I get filled with, oh, man, this, I don't really need this right now. And, oh, they need it and here you can have it. And then they get it and they go, I don't really need it right now, but praise God, thank you for me. And here you can have it, I know you need it. And the same amount of money just keeps getting passed all over the place. But every time it's passed, you know what happens? God gets praised. Thank God for meeting our needs. Thank God for knowing that I have the need even before I know it. Thank God He can supply our needs. Thank God He knows everything that's going on in my life. Thank God when I'm down and I'm discouraged and I'm disgusted and I'm disappointed with everything that's going on, God knows it and He sends somebody to meet that need. And the first thing I do is get down on my knees and I say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm so selfish. I'm sorry that I forgot you're still up there. I'm sorry that I forgot that you, you care about me. I'm sorry I forgot you can meet my needs more than I could ever anticipate. And to Him who's, do, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we even ask or think. That's the God that we love and that we serve. And so what, what Paul said, he said, you know what? He said, you'll be made rich. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 13. He says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God will meet all your needs. You know why he wants to meet them? So you can be generous on every occasion that comes up. When there's a need to be met, you'll be generous and able to do it. He says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When God's people are generous and meet the needs of others, it's a constant reminder to all of us that we've got a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you can ever ask or ever think. 
And he says, you know what? Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I'll tell you what. Generosity by God's people will lead more people to the love of Christ than anything, anything else you could ever imagine. So my question for you is, does your generosity lead people to see the love of God in your life or does your selfishness and your self-centeredness and your tightness lead people to question whether you really know the God you say you love? What kind of God do we have that He's so selfish? Not the God of this Bible. The God of this Bible came down and gave His life for us. Gave His life a ransom for many. To seek and to save that which was lost. No, God initiates love. And we should too with finances that God places in our hands. And the way that you do it, and not only will it cause people to give thanks and praise His name, but one of the other reasons that we have to give when you stop and get right down to it is to help others in time of need. There's, there, I mean, there's a very simple truth of what the Bible teaches, but we should give to help others in time of need. And as uh, the, the uh, Corinthians, you know, the funny thing is, these people weren't wealthy people. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's where it starts. How, you know, you ever wonder sometimes, I mean, how some people are just so generous and other people, they've got those real deep pockets and they've got those short alligator arms. Man, they just can't, they can't reach those things for nothing, man. It's like, I can't get it this time, maybe next time. You know, and you just go, gee. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's really a barometer of their spiritual condition. That's what it is. 2 Corinthians, look at verse 1, chapter 8. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Here were people that saw the need of others and said, You know what? We've got to meet that need. Not only did they give according to their ability, but they gave beyond their ability. And it caused joy throughout the whole congregation. And he says in verse 3, for I testify, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 4, begging us. They begged to give. Man, that would be kind of rare. How would you like to walk into a group of people like that? Oh, no, no, let me meet the need this time. No, no, you met it last time. No, let me meet it. No, come on. Well, you know, okay, we'll split it. Okay, we'll all meet the need. And that's, I mean, would that be unbelievable? I mean, we hear needs and we go, yes. We do the chicken scratch. You ever see people do the chicken scratch? Anyone else raise their hand yet? Anyone? No, it's two hands. Did they say three or four? I forget. And we do that. And these people beg to give. They said they're begging us with much entreaty. They're pleading with us for the favor of participation in the support of saints. Oh, please let us be part of this. And this not as we had expected. But you know why they did it? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Hey, this is the best news I ever heard for non-Christians. Let me just tell you something. If you're out there listening you're not a Christian, you don't know what any of this is about, hey, let me, just, let me just ease your mind. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your money. Because He doesn't want you to get confused with His message. 
He loves you just as you are. You don't have to give him a penny. He doesn't want anything from you. He died for you. He loves you. He doesn't want your money. For as a Christian, I always thought ministries all they wanted was everybody's money. Never heard anybody boldly enough say, listen, if you don't know the Lord and you've never come to that point in your life and you're not real sure what's going on, hey, this, this next little plea isn't for you. We need some money. We need money so we can get out there and let people know God loves them. If you're not sure God loves you and you don't have any idea what's going on, this isn't for you. You don't have to give anything. We don't want you to give anything because we don't want you to be confused by the message. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't give enough money to God. You can't do enough good things. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Don't get confused. God doesn't want your money, so don't give it. See, isn't that great? And this is what they did. You know why they gave so much? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. They said, hey, if this is all real, I want that. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want Him in my life. I want Him to be Lord of my life. And after they saw the grace of God, and after they saw that it wasn't based on performance, and after they saw it was unconditional love, then they said, you know what? we got to let everybody know about this. They were committed to the Lord first, and then they gave their resources because it made sense. God's people need to understand why they should give. And if you don't, then pay attention because that's what we're talking about. It's important, you know, and it's also important as you look at this. You ever wonder why you have the job that you have? Why do I got this job? Why does God keep making, giving me more money? Why do we keep getting more money going through our accounts, through our hands? You know why? It says, he who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with his own hands. You know why? So you can get that second house you're looking for. That's why I think that's important. So you can buy some more toys that you want to play with. That's why I am keep blessing you. Because I want your life to be happy. And the only way you can do it is by buying things, right? Because things bring so much contentment into our life. That's why when we have that thing, we can't wait to get a new thing that's bigger, better, and improved. <laughs> he said, you know why I did it? So that you may have something to share with those who are in need. In case you get confused, the reason God blesses you and me and He gives us a job and, he, and he, he gives us money, goes through our hands and through our accounts is so that we can meet the needs of those around us. Do you follow that? To help others in time of need. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, hey brother, but doesn't do anything about his physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, but if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Living faith works, is active. But I want you to notice something, because here's where we get the guilt trips placed on us if you're a Christian. And that is, you've got some deadbeat relatives. And what they want is, they want handouts all the time. And they call you and say, yeah, well, you're supposed to be a Christian. Isn't there anything in that Bible says you're supposed to meet the needs of your family? Yes, there is. What needs do you have? Well, I just need some money. Now, what needs do you have? Well, I'm not going to... Where are you spending your money? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Oh, so I'm supposed to be an idiot and just hand over money to you so that you can go spend it any way that you want. See, there's a difference what the Bible teaches in needs. And let me just lay this out so you don't have a guilt trip anymore. Somebody comes to you and they have a need, then that need has to do with daily needs. Food, shelter, clothing. Not greeds, not lusts, not wants, not desires. And you have got to be a good steward of the limited resources God places in your life. And you just don't turn around and give people money to help them in their excessive lifestyle or in the indulgences that they have to feed their greeds. Because you know what? God wants them to experience consequences for some of the actions of their life. And by continually feeding them money, you encourage them to continue to live an undisciplined lifestyle. And thus you play God and you prevent them from experiencing the consequences that God wants them to face. 
So let's just get it straight. Let's stop handing money out to deadbeats and bums that continue to go out and live any way that they want, and let's take that same amount of money and not feel the pressure because they're family or friends or whatever, and give them to people who don't have food, shelter, and clothing on a daily basis. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That is the needs of other people. But it's fun being a deadbeat. I know. That's too bad. Number, number five. You know why else you should give? To develop faith in God's supply. You know what? You don't know that God can provide for you until you start giving away money that you think you have to have to survive. You just don't see it. And you know why you don't see it? Because most of us are in debt to our ears because we enjoy the luxury of what's called credit in our society. Let me just really make you uncomfortable. And I don't care if I get down with all this anyway. So you should have bet the pizza. Hey, you know what? This is, this is perhaps one of the greatest spiritual tragedies of our day, and that's the use of credit. Not only has credit destroyed our nation, this is in yesterday's register, federal deficit hits $220.4 billion. Okay? You, you, can't, you just can't brush over headlines like this without ever stopping every now and then just to see how bad off we really are. Federal deficit soared to $220.4 billion, the second highest ever in the fiscal year ending September 30th, the Treasury Department reported Friday. It was the 21st straight year in which the government spent more than it took in. The fiscal 1990 red ink was 43% more than the $153 billion imbalance last year. You know what? The government's doing exactly the same thing that we're doing. Living beyond its means. Borrowing against the future. Sacrificing today. Sacrificing tomorrow on the altar of today. We're in a jam, so what do we do? We borrow against the future. You know what? And we're not much better as Christians, are we? One of the greatest spiritual tragedies in our society today, zooming upon the future because we want immediate gratification today. This is an amazing thing. Weakest players in the county economy. Speaking of Orange County credit card holders, People who, are, who have stretched their finances to the limit on easy-to-obtain credit cards are falling into debt and bankruptcy in ever larger numbers. Some experts say they may be the first victims of national recession and economic downturn. Chapter 7 bankruptcy in the county is on the rise with an average of more than 30 filled each day, and that's Chapter 7, liquidation. One local trustee says, if you've looked at 100 of these Chapter 7 filings, credit card debt would be the most common theme. They're able to carry the debt just barely from month to month, but the first strong win and they collapse. said that many of the bankruptcies he has handled involves people between the ages of 20 and 25, and I must say that it has a lot to do with a lot of us who sit here who have children that age and who have raised them not to understand anything about biblical principles of finance. And they want to enjoy what's taken you 30 years to accumulate, and they want to enjoy them in the first five years of their life after they leave home. says that, I think it's a crying shame because these are the people at a point in their life where they need to build credit, and the fact of the matter is Chapter 7 ruins your credit. Now, you know, that's just the practical implications. 
But I've got something that I'm more concerned about, and that's the spiritual destruction that takes place when we see that happening. It says, typically the problem is with people who sign up for several credit cards, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, or financial companies such as Avco and Sears, all with relatively low credit limit of perhaps 1500 or 2500 Everybody likes to keep up with the fantasy lifestyles they read about in the magazines and see on television, and a lot of them don't have the means for that. But they try to do it anyway, and one way they try to do it is with credit cards. It's the easiest way to get what you want now when you don't have the money to do it. Say, well, what's this have to do with the Bible? I don't understand. Boy, what are you bringing in stuff like that? You know what it is? It's a matter of do you trust God to provide for your needs. Who has to trust God anymore when you got a credit card? Right? You don't have to trust God. You don't have to trust God to meet a need. You don't have to pray about something. You don't have to fast and pray. You don't have to save for anything. You don't have to put money in the bank so that your motives will become purified as you save for it and you see how hard it is to save for it and the thing that you want right away. Maybe after it takes you a year or two years to save to pay for it cash, you say, man, you know what? It took too long to save that money. I don't think we need that anymore. Nah, you don't want to do that because you want it right now. You want it impulsively. So you know what happens? Our faith muscle has atrophied while our wrist muscle has expanded by flicking out the credit cards. That's the way it builds up. Look at that. Oh, man, that's awesome. But our faith muscle disappeared. You know why? Because we don't have to trust God. We really don't. We don't have to trust God to meet our needs because we've got credit. And if one card's tapped, we'll go to the next card. And if that one's tapped, we'll go to the next card. And if that one's tapped, we'll go to some parent who doesn't understand what the Bible teaches and we'll bail you out again. Why? That's my son. That's my daughter. Well, then why don't you just put a gun to their head and shoot them at the same time? Because that's what you're doing. Do you understand what you're teaching them? Same thing that you're learning yourself. Who needs to trust God anymore when we got credit? And it's sad, but it's true. And it needs to be discussed. So as we look at this, Paul says, hey, you know what? And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in doing every good work. You know what God promises to do? He promises that He'll meet our every need in order that we may help others with the needs that they have to survive. Our needs and greeds have gotten so distorted in our society. What we think we need, the only way you're going to find out you don't need it is when it's taken away from you. And I'm afraid that many of us are heading for disaster in that area of our life in order to destroy your faith in God who is more than able to amply supply all of your needs because you've long since stopped trusting Him and put your trust in things that aren't trustworthy. Men and women, I'm, I'm imploring you you need to stop using credit. I beg you, in the name of the truth of the Bible and what it stands for and everything that God says is right, you need to stop living above and beyond your means. If God wants you to have something, He will more than amply meet that need. He'll bring someone into your life that will meet that need. He'll meet that need in a miraculous way. And you know what the amazing thing is? When I see God miraculously meet a need in my life, I'm more apt at praising Him and recognizing that He's the source of it and not me. Not my credit cards, not my credit worthiness, not all the garbage that they teach you and tell you, oh, you can afford it. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to see God miraculously work in my life. And the only way I can do it is I've got to get out of his way. If I don't have it, I'll pray about it. 
And if God doesn't answer it the way that I thought and the way that I wanted him to, then I'm not going to get desperate and go out and manipulate it so I can get what I want. If he don't want me to have it, he knows more about me than I do, and he's probably thinking, it's not a good idea for you to get what you think you want. And I'm not going to let it happen. I'll tell you what, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you a question? This is getting real personal, but I'm going to do it anyway. Would you be willing to stop using credit and start trusting God? Too practical, I know. But I'm just going to challenge you to consider it because that's what the Bible teaches. Stop trusting credit and start trusting God. Number six, here's a great reason to give. I love this reason. This is probably the, the best reason of all to give. And you know what? So that you can experience joy in your life. There is nothing that will make you perk up quicker than seeing the smile on the face of someone who they look at you as God's messenger to answer a prayer in their life. Man, there is nothing that will pump you up bigger than that. And you know the way God usually does it? This way he does it in my life. He usually puts someone on your heart. You like put someone on, you know, call it on your mind, call it on your heart. You know what, in English it just means, you know, you ever stop and you start thinking about somebody and you don't really know why you're thinking about them? Huh? You ever pick up the phone and just see how they're doing and see if there's anything you can do for them? Because, you know what, I don't know why. I, you know, it, it, God, God put you on my heart and I just felt like calling you to see how you're doing. You got any needs in your life? Can I pray about it? Is there anything I can help you with? Something going on in your life right now that I could be of some kind of help to you too? Because I don't know. I really don't know. And now you're going to have to be honest and say, hey, you know what? This is amazing. We're really struggling in this area of our life. And if you can't do something other than pray, then just pray. But be involved. Care about that person. I'll tell you what. When you get involved in the life of other people, you'll experience joy. This is what happened when they were building the temple. It says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. It says, now I've seen joy, how willingly your people who are here have given to you. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. First Chronicles 29, read it sometime. It's about the building of the temple. And you know what the amazing thing was? They were pumped up with joy because all of them were giving and meeting the need. It was contagious. When you give, you get excited about your life again. Question, are you kind of down on life? Feeling a little bitter, a little cynical, your needs aren't getting met, no one really cares about you anymore? You know how that is. Let me ask something. Whose life are you involved in? Who are you giving to? Who are you helping meet their needs? Quickest way out of depression, the quickest way out of discouragement, the quickest way out of self-centered pity is to start meeting the needs of people around you. And you know what? You don't even know you got needs after that. You're too busy meeting the needs of other people. That's a great position to be in. It's amazing to me. People say, well, you guys got any needs? I don't know. I haven't stopped to think about it for about eight years now. Um, just been too busy. I don't know. That's a, is this a trick question? I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But uh, next time I sit around and start feeling sorry for myself and thinking about it, I'll give you a call. Give you a buzz Monday. <laughs> now, we've got to be careful, and I'll just go through these quick, because one of the problems that we have is we've got to be careful not to get back into self-serving mode, but the reality of giving also is taught in the Bible that, you know what, when you give, God promises to repay. When you give, God promises to repay. 
There's nothing you can do on this earth. There's nothing that you can sacrifice. There's nothing that you can set aside that God isn't watching and he promises to repay a hundred times in his kingdom. One of the greatest reasons to give, I mean, if you're still kind of bordering on self-centeredness, one of the best reasons to give that will motivate you is knowing that, hey, it's a hundred times you're going to get return in the kingdom of God. So, I mean, why not give? Why not give it up? Just do it. That's a, that's, I mean, that's great news. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God is not unjust, meaning that if He forgot what you did, He would be unjust in doing so. God is not unjust. He remembers, He's got it jotted down, and one day, payday, and it may not be on this earth, but there's going to be a great time in heaven where every cheesy little measly thing you gave up that you thought was a big sacrifice is going to look pretty small in comparison to what God gives you in return. So receive a heavenly reward. Also, it has to do with increasing your own productivity. Hey, give to increase your own productivity. There's a promise here. And the promise is that if you honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Hey, the promise is, if you want to increase your own productivity, you want to know why you're really struggling? I, I, I challenged a friend I met with yesterday, and he's struggling in his finances. And we went down through it, and I looked at it, and I saw all his expenses and all the income. I put it all together, and I looked at giving, and there was a zero. And there's a zero, and he wanted to know why he's struggling. And it's like, he's not, not that he's making, I mean, not that he's, you know, on an impoverished level of income. He's making good money. And he wanted to know why he was struggling. And I offered him this challenge. I said, you know what? Let me just challenge you to do this. You need to set aside a percentage of your income right off the top. Give first to God and his work. You set that percentage aside, and all your finances are going to start falling into place. We'll put a plan together, but you make a commitment that you start giving the Lord's work first. I can't give. I don't have any extra money. I'm in debt. I know that. I can see that. And you're going to keep on being in debt until you learn to start giving. That's the root of your problem. But I don't have any extra money. And you never will. So for those of you who are sitting out there thinking, well, I don't have any extra money. How am I going to start to give even though I'm convicted about giving because it's pretty obvious that it pleases God and that it is biblical. I need to start giving. How am I going to give? I don't have any extra money. Hey, and you're thinking, when I have some extra money, then I'll start to give. No, you won't. You start giving now. You don't have it? Too bad. I'll bet you I can find some where you can start to give. And you know what the promise is? that God will increase our own productivity because of our faithfulness to do what's right before Him. And the last thing is, and that's exactly what it is, it's to demonstrate our submission to the Lord. Giving is nothing more than one other area of our life where we fall into obedience before the God we say we love. It's just one other area. There are a lot of areas that God wants us to be obedient, and this is just one of them. This is one of the many things we'll talk about in how to please God. And that is that David said to the whole assembly, 1 Chronicles 29, 20, said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the King. Giving is an act of humble submission before God, recognizing His authority in our life. Recognizing His authority in our life. You know what? I mean, some of you are in a financial mess. I know that. You know it. And what I would recommend that you do is there are people, I mean, Steve and Claire, you got a finance class going, Biblical Principle of Finance that you just started. There are other people in here, Dick and Sylvia have some things going. If you have a desire to get your act right in finances, there are ways that you can do it. 
And I want to just close with this thought because it's really interesting. And that is, Ron Blue said this. Ron Blue, who's a Christian financial planner, is a Christian who is a financial planner, said, if all Christians were reduced to a welfare income, listen to this, if all Christians were reduced to a welfare income and they tithed or gave 10% on that amount, the church would double its receipts. In working with our clients, it's been our experience that with planning, with planning, their giving goes up on the average about four times what they were giving prior to doing planning. The problem is not a lack of desire to give, but more so confusion because of the tremendous uncertainty and conflicting advice we live with on a day-to-day -day basis. And you know, let me, let me do this real quick. We've got a couple minutes. That guy over there is still talking. <laughs> let, me, let me just show something to you real quick that I jotted down because this is the way it works. You want to you give, then here's the way it works. You got gross income. I don't care if you get paid weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever it is. You got gross income. Then you, you deduct right off the top. You deduct giving. I don't care if it's 2%, 5%, 10%, 15%. You, your family, you pray about it and you decide what it is. If it's nothing, I'd suggest 2% to get started. Okay? If it's 2%, can I bump it to 4 if it's four, can you bump it to six? I mean, somehow you've got to stretch yourself so you can get that faith muscle, muscle work, methyl working again. Because <laughs> if you don't lose it, it doesn't work. Um, you've got to get it going again because it ain't working. So you've got to do it. So just bump it up. And then your taxes come off. And then I would suggest this. If you're in debt, then you make a debt repayment plan because nothing destroys the testimony of Christians more than stupid people who are out there that owe all kind of people money and yet they don't feel any obligation to repay their debts. You better start repaying your debt. Nothing will destroy your testimony quicker than being down here spending money on all these things that you want and you want to have and that you like while you owe someone money up above the top and you're not paying them. The Bible says that the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous are gracious and give. You better pay your debts back before you go buying something else. How many of you in here are parents who loan money to kids they haven't made an effort to pay you back. You walk into their house and they got a new VCR, a new television, they got a new this, they got a new that. And the reason they got it is because they probably used credit to get it. And so they say to you, it's only costing $23 a month. And you're thinking, well, pay us the $23 a month. <laughs> Show us some responsibility here. And, and that's what you got to do. Before you start indulging in yourself, then you better give the Lord his portion and you better pay off all your debts. And then you can do the rest of it. And then whatever you got left over is called margin. And that's kind of nice because you know what you can do with margin? You can give the margin away. You can give more of it. That's kind of neat. Anyway, John Wesley. In closing, John Wesley. Are you ready for this? This is an amazing article. It's got 27 misspellings in it in the first paragraph, but it's really a good article on it. Um, so if, if you've read it, you've seen it. It's like, gee, who typed this? Um, anyway, let me close on this. John, John Wesley, one of the wealthiest preachers that ever lived. This is just a thought just to encourage you to consider a possible step of action in your own life. John Wesley was redecorating his office one day when he was hanging a painting and he looked outside and there was a chambermaid that was at the door who had very flimsy clothes on that was in the middle of winter and she was freezing to death. He reached into his pocket to give her money and as he did he was convicted about the fact that he was going through and just decking his office out and here was a person that didn't have the daily needs that she, that she required just to survive. And it said that um, perhaps as a result of this incident it said, uh, in 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have money, more money, to give to the poor. He records that one year his income was 30 pounds and his living expenses 28 pounds. So he gave those two, dollars, or those two pounds away. 
The next year his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds, and he gave 32 pounds away. In the third year his income jumped to 90 pounds. Again he lived on 28 pounds, giving 62 pounds away. The fourth year he made 120 pounds. Again he lived on 28 pounds, and he gave 92 pounds to the poor. He preached that Christians should not merely tithe, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. He believed that with increased income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not their standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford and continued it throughout his whole life. Even when his income rose into thousands of pounds, he lived simply and quickly gave his surplus money away. One year, his income was slightly over 1,400 pounds in one year. He gave all of it away to meet the needs of the poor, except 30 pounds that he used to sustain his own needs. 2%. He lived on 98%. He gave away. At his death in 1744, Wesley wrote this, When I die, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and all mankind can bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will was the miscellaneous coins to be found in his pockets and dresser drawers. Most of the 30,000 pounds he had given he had earned in his lifetime, he had given away. Oh, that's so radical. <laughs> that's so extreme. But can I just, just share one thought with you? There is no more radical and extreme lifestyle to live than that of living a life of obedience to the God we say we love. There's no more radical lifestyle you'll ever see on the face of the earth. God help us to see it. Are you pleasing God in your giving? Giving pleases God. If you're not, then you better get to action and set out and plan to do better in that area. God, help us to see it's true. Just one more area we need to be obedient. Let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you for your concern, for your love, for the way you, need our, that you meet all of our needs, the provisions in our life. God, help us to see that you're the source of all of it. Help us not to buy into the advertising and the programs and, and the promotions around us that cause us to increase our standard of living while decreasing our standard of giving. God, help us to see what credit's doing to our lives and our trust and faith in you. It's destroying us. It's destroying us personally. It's destroying us economically. And most of all, it destroys us spiritually in our relationship to you. God, help us to see it. You say you that you love a cheerful giver. It's hard to give cheerfully when we've got debts all surrounding us. We're in prison. We're in bondage. And we need to be freed from it because of the love of Christ in our heart and our life and how he's freed us from sin. May you free us in these principles from the bondage of debt. And Father, if there's anyone who's out there that has never put their faith and trust in Christ and don't have a clue or understanding, may, they help, may you help them to see today that you love them unconditionally. It's not a matter of giving money. That money and giving and meeting the needs of others is a response to your grace in our life. It's a response to the love that we see that you've demonstrated to us. It doesn't earn our way into heaven. It doesn't earn us favor with you. The only favor and the only thing that really pleases you above all is that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you and praise you. It's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.